1: You'll find us here. Moving
0: iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron. Well, let's do it. Let's do it right, Sean. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Haggard. This is of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon would like to give the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free notepad, Sean. I know you need one of those. I do. When you are out and about looking at birds or doing whatever it is that you're doing, taking notes, just go to marketing at and you can get yourself a free axon travel notepad. Make sure you mention you heard it on the Moving Iron podcast when you send an email to marketing at Valid Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for your trucking needs at Valid Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach forwards. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment, sales data, Zoom's iron comps, is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks, the dealer. The Dealer Connect CRMi app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Sean is with Boca, or not? You're not with Boca Raton, Florida. You live in Boca Raton, Florida, but you're with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good, Casey. Real good. Real good.
0: So you had Hurricane uh, Ian hit that uh kind of between what well, guess, would be fort myers i guess is kind of where it went through had some pretty significant damage there um one of the bigger hurricanes they've had in that area since 1935 get, it, or something sound right well yeah.
1: oh, 0405 oh they got hit pretty bad um, yeah. i'm not sure it was a category 4 i think it was a category 3 but the damage was quite extensive there I, so i'm thinking you got to be you got to look back 20 years to at least have something of a similar kind of of uh, high order damage like they're seeing there so it's been right. a long time
0: been a little bit yeah so it's uh thoughts and prayers go out to those people out there man. It's, that's a it's a tough situation to uh to go through and and there's a lot of a lot of devastation you know here in the midwest we have strong storms that come through and do do some damage but it usually takes you know 10 or 15 minutes for those storms to roll through here and, and do what they do and I could not imagine going through a hurricane with 100 plus mile an hour winds for 12 hours. You know that would be a that'd be a whole nother deal. So it's a.
1: I've been through I've been through ones where we've had 120, 130. Um, it's most unpleasant, yeah. and and the way it works is every 10 mile an hour higher, the damage equation is exponentially worse. So okay. if you go from 120 to 150. I mean, the the damage is just catastrophically worse, even though it's only 30 miles an hour it's it's a disproportionate degree of damage differential so um yeah the big difference between a, a three or a four big yep. difference
0: Yeah. so yesterday i was i sent you a text asked you how you're doing see if you're out of, out of harm's way and your particular area was really a non-event you got a little rain a little wind but nothing out of the ordinary for this time of the year and you had mentioned something about orange juice going limit up which that's right, in the heart of citrus country right there where that, where that rolled through. Talk about that a little bit, Sean, and what you see happening there.
1: Well, I think I think you have to understand that where we are right now with the orange juice crop is now we're in the, the orange sizing, meaning that the oranges are starting to form in size. So the big issue right now would have been if very high winds were to have hit the core, citrus belt. Now, the core citrus belt is not on the coast. It's core citrus belt as in the internal of Florida. And by the time that storm, because it was moving so slowly, got to the internal Florida, it rapidly declined from, you know, down to a a category one. And now it's a tropical storm. That means more rain than wind. Um, and, you know, excessive rainfall, but excessive rainfall for a citrus tree isn't going to be the same kind of catastrophic damage as if they had experienced hundred mile an hour winds or more, which they did not experience. So I don't think the damage is, is the worst case scenario that could have happened there. Um, and so we might see some kind of a hangover as the storm passes through and there's a, we, we might have a buy the rumor, sell the news in the market as the market says, well, it could have been a whole lot worse. Maybe we overplayed this. Demand is not doing well. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, Brazil is going to have a significant increase in supplies. Starting in two thousand twenty three, I I don't think this was the worst case scenario for the citrus belt. Had it moved more quickly and had the storm stayed stronger longer, I think it could have been. But it, to me, it turned out to be more of a rain event than a citrus belt. You know, blowing the the, the fruit off the trees in, in a massive fruit drop. I, I don't think that's what occurred here. So
0: okay, so one of those uh, something else probably pay attention to with with, with where it's kind of headed to. And I looked at the radar this morning and looked like it was kind of more headed back out towards like uh like very southeast corner Georgia, kind of back out to sea there a little bit. Um, you know, looking at that, Sean, it really shouldn't affect much on the cotton side and and in that the whatever um other harvest related uh issues we see in the southeast right now.
1: Well, the original track was gonna take us straight into the heart of Atlanta, I right. mean, you know, Georgia and the, and the- But Carolina, you know, it's not really that significant of a, you know, they they grow some cotton there, but it's not, it's not a high order state for cotton. And so, um, we dodged a bullet there in terms of, I mean, for a while there, we were limited up in cotton when the track was supposed to go straight into Georgia and then all of a sudden it veered off and changed track. And so I don't see this being a major impact to the cotton market when it's all said and done, um, very minimal change of production from all of this, uh, other than some, some reduction in production and quality in North Carolina and not, not to diminish North Carolina and those farmers and that sort of thing, but on the, on the big picture scale, it's not a market moving event. So. Right.
0: Okay. All right. As you're looking out at a few other of these uh, commodities over here in the soft markets, if you take a look at, um, so you know, one thing I've been paying attention to just because I'm wanting to build a little building next to my house here, but the price of lumber has really taken a, a fall down i mean you really take a look from where it was at its highs you know a couple years ago well actually back in march of uh of 22 you know you're looking at 1400 lumber and then you look at that's today it's you know 429 bucks a linear 100 linear foot so you look about a thousand dollars been eroded off that and there's been some sharp declines all the, on the way down when you're looking at lumber, Sean, do you feel like there's there's more room for the fall there? Or do you feel like this is about where it needs to be at?
1: I, I kind of think you know when we we, we popped a couple of years back. We had talked about you know uh, the popping of a bubble. It was a classic bubble chart, right. straight up vertical market. Mm-hmm. And when you pop a bubble, you typically lose eighty to ninety percent to make the low. I haven't worked at the exact percentage. I think we would get eighteen nineteen hundred dollars down to four hundred. I mean, actually, I can calculate it real quick. Why, why? Why guess? Right. Well, let's yep. let's calculate real quick. But I think let's see. So let's just take nineteen hundred minus four hundred. Make it nice and easy. Divided by nineteen hundred. So we've declined seventy nine percent. That's usually below yeah. the low from a bubble popping. And that now now it can sit here and go up and down down and up and up and, up and down and develop some kind of extended basing pattern. But I do think that this is probably a low point where we're going to start to dig our heels in and develop some kind of a sideways trade pattern. And there's a good value. The problem is, you know, it's a good value because nobody wants to build homes right now. You know, nobody wants to do because interest rates have gone up so fast so quickly and mortgage rates have gone up so fast so quickly that we've literally just hit the buyer with a sledgehammer. And, um, you know, and, and then of course, with all the worries over the economy, I might lose my job, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it means that the lumber demand is going to be weak for a while. But remember, lumber prices tend to go up or down well in advance of the economy. Typically, it'll drop a year and a half. It'll go up a year and a half, start going up or start going down a year and a half before an uptick or a downtick. So lumber can start to go up even when things look really, really bad, Casey. Um, and so I would say that you know be on the lookout for some common upturn i would think in lumber prices in the first half of 2023 not because the economy is doing great at that point because i think the market's going to be sensing that later on in 23 and 24 it's anticipating a rebound in the economy so it's a very forward-looking market for 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 prices versus the economy but for now I, i don't really see a whole lot of reason for the market to go up much or down much from here i think it's a sideways trade into the first half of twenty three, and then
0: we'll have to take another look at it. So, gotcha. Okay, all right. One, um, one thing that we've we've talked quite a bit about here, um, off and on again, um, is coffee. And you look at coffee right now, and the you know the coffee market has has had its ups and downs here, um, comparatively to what you know we looked at some frost issues this spring and and what that looked like and how that was going to affect what was going on. I guess it was about this time last year. I guess she went to Brazil, wasn't it? So, um, you know this. Time and you kind of saw how that reacted through uh, through the spring into the uh, or sorry sorry through the fall into the spring and where we're at now. So if you take a look at coffee, Sean, and you're looking at what's going on there, our growing conditions obviously they're a little better in Brazil right now than they've been. Um, but taking a look at the coffee market, Sean, what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, fantastic rains here in October. This is the prime month for the flowering season, the blooming season, getting those flowers to. To bloom and getting them to um to set and to set the coffee potential for the next crop so outstanding weather normally that would just crash the cotton the coffee market here and it'd be a game set and match it's all over but we've had two massively small crops back to back and we have extremely tight supplies and we're going into the high demand part of the season what's been happening is certified stocks on the ice exchange warehouses which are used to deliver against Futures contracts on the exchange continue to fall. They're at 28 year lows right now at 440,000 bags. They can't go to zero, meaning you can't, you have always have to have coffee that can be delivered against the board if somebody wants to take delivery against the long futures contract at expiration. So, and we're and at the rate that we're drawing down these certified stocks, you know, will be at zero, you know, in 45 days which can't oh, happen. Wow. So, yeah. so at some point the market, and the reason this is happening is that we're so tight that the cash market. So if you look at Colombian cash coffee, it's trading at 80 cents plus above futures. You look at the central American coffee, they're trading at 55 to 60 cents at a premium to futures. You're looking at Brazilian coffee um, that would be deli- That's able to be delivered to the exchange. You're looking at parity. Only way you're going to get coffee to be delivered to the exchange is you have to get the cash differentials to fall, so that delivering to the board is more attractive than selling in the outright cash market. Um, so at some point, in order to stop these drawdowns from certified stocks, the futures market will have to rally to the point where these cash differentials fall and it and incentivizes Central America and Brazil and Colombia to deliver to the board, so we don't run out of certified stocks. That's right now what's happening um and 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 obviously at this price level we continue to draw down certified stocks every day so the market has i don't i'm not saying i know what that level is casey i don't know if it's 275 or it's three or you know all i know is i can i can i calculate these cash differentials every day i'll be able to see when when they're starting to fall when the price level is beginning to have its impact but the way i see it the market regardless of the great weather we're having regardless of the very bearish macro environment we're in the strong dollar all things that are tend to be bearish commodities this is a mechanistic thing uh this is a you know physical delivery mechanism thing and it has to it can't go to zero so the this is a situation where this will override those factors it just has you know that if those surfaces keep falling um, it has to happen so so i would be just continuing to watch those certified stocks and if they continue to fall i'm i don't know what, what level we we reached the you know that that moment of truth or the tipping point but we only have four 40, bags left to go so somewhere between this this level and zero the market's going to get especially worried to move the coffee market higher to, to offset not running out of certified stocks so we haven't been through this since 1997 it was the last time we had a supply squeeze on the board of trade uh, warehouse stocks falling too low. um It's been a long time, but uh it's a rare event. But it's something that is very interesting for this market and does offer the potential for one more potential spike trade before we put the top in, and then we start looking at this much bigger crop that's coming for next year and this good weather, and all will start to kick in. But I, you know, somehow we have to resolve this issue, Casey, before we can get to the bear side of the equation. So.
0: Gotcha. All right. So one other thing I've been thinking about here a little bit with all the the talks that we've had about, you know, ending stocks and what that looks like. So let's, let's pretend for a minute that Brazil has just bumper crop this year, right? Soybeans, corn, I mean, just through the roof. And then here in the United States, we do the exact same thing, you know, bumper crop, corn, you know, we just well above trend line yield. I mean, we're just banging it out. With the situation we have worldwide, worldwide as, as ending stocks go and those kind of things, how many of those could could the market absorb before we start seeing some significant decrease in price?
1: Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a stretch to think that we could go from a billion bushel carry out in corn to two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have a record crop and you look at where the demand is, um, and let's say you know there's some people that want to catch up on buying because they've been you know caught but I would say, you know, we could see any stocks go to 2 billion on corn, for example, or maybe, you know, go to five to 700 million bushel carry out on soybeans, for example. Um, and what would that mean to price? You know, obviously there's a lot of factors And what's the sure. currency doing, what is the sure. Fed doing? Um, but clearly if you go from a billion bushel carry out to two billion bushel carry out, you know, I don't think we're going to have $7 corn. You know, right. I think we'll have something considerably less. We know that in, um, You know, that we found our way down to five and a half, 575 when we thought we were going to have a billion and a half bushel carryout. We know that we have to four and a half the prior year when we thought we were going to have two billion bushel carryout. So, you know, you know, those levels based upon the chart pattern that we've seen would seem to be targets. Obviously, we have to monitor geopolitical, we have to monitor the dollar, we have to monitor what the Fed is doing. They start to print all kinds of money again and the dollar starts to collapse. You know, maybe it's on the higher side, but ser- clearly, I don't think we're gonna have seven dollar corn if we have a record, you know, a bin buster crop in Brazil and a um, above trend line yield in in the US, we certainly wouldn't be having six dollars f seven dollar corn. It'd be something considerably less. And that you know, that's the kind of weather we're anticipating that we're going to have. Uh, at this point, unless, um, unless something changes in, in our view from what we're looking at. So
0: right on. Okay. One last thing we'll talk about is, uh, is energy here for just a second, looking at what's going on in the overall oil complex here. If you're looking at, um, where West Texas crude is, you've seen some stabilization there from what we saw over the last, the previous week and into this week here, you've seen some, a little bit of stabilization. If you look at West Texas crude, you're seeing some movement there. He um, you said, you know, a huge, you know, all the way up there from 120 down to where we're at now, at about 80, uh, whatever it is, 82.15, I think is where it's trading at right now. Looking at those two, you know, West Texas and, and Brent and where they're at now, that mythical $80 number keeps getting tossed around there as a, as a real breaking point. And then when it gets to that $80 number, that there's could be some significant slide in what we see happening in the overall. Oil marketplace right now, Sean. So I guess looking at oil, are, do you think that eighty dollar mark is is where folks are, are are going to, you know, get a little panicky and you could see a, a significant drop, or do you feel like there's still this is about where oil needs to be at?
1: We already traded below eighty already, and we right. got down at seventy five. But just just think about this way: we've been absolutely dumping millions of barrels of oil daily from the SPR, just dumping right. it, just just dumping it. The refineries working at 103% capacity. I'm not I'm kidding, but I mean, as fast as they can to produce diesel and gas and like they've we've never seen before ahead of the elections. And we still have $80 crude oil. Um how long are they going to continue to dump SPR? Uh, uh, yeah. How much longer? I mean, you know, at the rate that they're drawing it down, if they intended to just totally Clear the clear it out and go to zero. You know, maybe they could do it for another year, but are they going to do that? Are they going to just totally drain the entire SBR down to zero? I don't think so. Um, What would be the incentive to do it after the elections are over? What? Why would anybody feel the need to to do that any longer? Because you don't have any elections for another couple of years, at least in the House of Representatives and the President. So I just think you know, it it, when we if we were to stop in December. And all those millions of barrels of oil supply that are being thrusted on the market stop. There is nowhere else to get those that supply. I mean, there's no we're not gonna produce it. Right. We're not gonna get it from anybody else. So what the price just seems to me like, you know, we have and remember, what's the low, what's this, the lower energy price is a huge stimulus right now? Huge stimulus for the global economy, huge stimulus for the US, meaning. We're actually stimulating the economy by getting these energy prices down, and the, I think the market is looking at crude oil incorrectly. Normally, when the crude oil price falls like it has, it means that we're in a crash in the economy, the demand is terrible, we have an oversupply of production. But because the oversupply is built on dumping SPR, not from excess U.S. production, it is actually not a signal of that. It's a. It's a it's a manipulated signal of a temporary supply that's been thrusted on the market that cannot last. So once you remove that supply, the market has to very rapidly go back to a level where actual supply and demand, you know, meets itself. And I, you know, we were at one twenty, one thirty 20, before they decided to dump SPR. I'm not smart enough to know, you know exactly how high we would go, but I just, th- I just feel that we're pushing on the string at this 75 to $80 barrel area. And the market's misperceiving what's really happening there. And when you look at actual U.S. production and actual U.S. demand, there's a mismatch still. And 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 we're stimulating right now. So I, I really think there's a wake-up call in the energy market from somewhere late after the election into the first quarter where the market will have to rapidly recalibrate what the true price is based on real production against real demand if, in fact, politicians back off SPR. You know, I don't know if they're going to for sure that they're going to do that Casey. I can't know for sure but i I just don't think they're going to run these supplies down to zero and I don't see where what the political benefit to them anymore is once the elections are over. So I would be thinking about if I'm a cash buyer of diesel, if I'm a cash buyer of gasoline, if I'm a cash buyer of crude oil, boy, I think I'd be looking at making sure I got tight you know tight you know tightened up buttoned up here in the fourth quarter for my future needs in 2023. I think this is going to be a good opportunity for cash hedgers to, you know, get themselves buttoned up a little bit. That's at least that's the way we see it. Now, you know, we're not energy experts at all. We're ag experts, but I think, you know, that's a pretty good solid outlook for energy, at least the way we're looking at things.
0: Right on. Makes a lot of sense. Never thought of it like that, Sean. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that?
1: Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about our weather cycles, capital flow cycles, what we do, how we do it, to see if what we do could be of value to your listeners.
0: Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Just marketing is my thing, Sean. I don't know if you knew that or not.
1: <laughs> you're, you're a guru. i got I got to hand it to you.
0: <laughs> so you want more information there? Go to uh, movingironllc.com. That's everything Moving Iron related. The information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 23. And the good folks over at Axon decided to do something very, very special. So check this out if you uh, use the code AXON. When you check in, you get a twenty-five or sorry, fifty dollars discount off of the price there. So check that out if you're interested in doing that. It's a good reason to go do that. So with that, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
1: Always, always a blast, Casey, and uh, really appreciate you always, always giving me the, the opportunity to do this on a weekly basis.
0: Wow, you're you're the one that's helping me out more than I'm helping you, and I promise you that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go some more folks. Out.